Greetings urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Farmer Greg here and welcome to the 752nd episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where every day we work together to educate and inspire you to become part of your food revolution. This month I'm excited to bring you Seven Springs Farm Supply as our sponsor for the show. To start the show, I've brought in some Seven Springs team members to share how they feel about some of the products they carry. Enjoy. My name is Aaron Questenberry. I go by the call sign Rango. My favorite product at Seven Springs would have to be the NeverSync blend, specifically blended for a farm, and it has a wide range of uses, and it's a great local product. Hi, my name's Eddie, call sign Hot Dog. My favorite product here at Seven Springs is Nature Safe Fertilizer because it's safe for nature. Hey, my name is Cassie, call sign Sassy, and my favorite Seven Springs Farm Supply product is our Epsom Salt. After a long day here at Seven Springs Farm, I like to go home and soak in about four cups of Epsom Salts. Hi, my name is Zach, call sign Hey Zach, and I would have to say that my favorite product of Seven Springs is the care that we put into every order. Today on our podcast, we're chatting with a new sponsor for the Urban Farm Podcast, whose company brings farming supplies to organic growers nationwide. We're talking with Daniel Sweeney about Seven Springs Farm Supply. Daniel has been the crop advisor at Seven Springs since 2018, and he enjoys working with farmers and helping them find solutions. Prior to joining Seven Springs, Daniel managed large fruit and vegetable farms. He now raises a flock of registered Shetland sheep and experiments with sunflowers and other cover crops. Seven Springs Farm Supply has been serving farmers and gardeners since 1990. They offer a comprehensive selection of soil amendments, growing mixes, pest and disease control products, and cover crop seeds for the organic grower. Welcome to the show today, Daniel. Are you ready to rock? I'm ready, Greg. Awesome. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at today? Sure. Just immediately prior to joining Seven Springs, I was running a vegetable farm. And prior to that, I had come out of larger perennial fruit growing, which those two may sound similar or have some overlap, but it takes a pretty different mindset to grow perennials and the rhythms associated with that versus annuals and intensive vegetable production. And I found that I was much more suited to that perennial growing. And so I decided to take the leap and join Seven Springs from there. But prior to my time in the vineyards and orchards, I had spent about 15 years in wineries. And, wow. and that was really the start of my career in the world of wine, all roads point back to the vineyard. And so at a certain point, I learned what I wanted to about how to make wine in the cellar and all the questions, how do you grow the best grapes possible? And so then I started working in vineyards and was very fortunate to be able to work in several nice vineyards around the U.S. and then came home to Floyd County, Virginia in late 2017, joined Seven Springs shortly thereafter. Nice. I discovered Seven Springs Farm Supply when I moved from Phoenix to Asheville and I was looking for supplies to plant orchards because I'm a long, long time fruit tree grower. I definitely hear you on the perennial part. 
and I was looking for supplies. And so I've chatted with your crew a couple of times and it looks like you're a pretty comprehensive organization. Can you just tell us a little bit about Seven Springs? You bet. So we, as you said in the intro, we are a national distributor of fertilizers, pest and disease management, cover crop seed, and potting mixes are primary products that we deal in. There are a few other things, fencing and netting and things like that, but those are our big ones. We're an independent supply house. And what really sets us apart is that we specialize in organic inputs. Uh, there are many supply houses that are either subsidiaries of some national chain or conventionally minded with a little bit of organics. And what we do is different in that we are wholly focused on organic inputs. So no herbicides or hard pesticides come through your company? We do have herbicides, but they're all based on organic materials. So they, nice. they're made out of soaps or acids or other things that biodegrade readily. Awesome. And in your bio, we called you a crop advisor. What does that mean? I, it, it sounds cool. Yeah, a crop advisor can mean a lot of different things. What it means at Seven Springs may be somewhat different than what it might mean in, a, in another supply house. But for us, it's being that technical resource for our clientele and for our staff as well. I look at soil reports. I field questions about pest and disease management. I look at certification questions, compliance things. So it's all of those technical questions and topics that need addressed related to agriculture, or the industry. In another setting, it might be an agronomist who is looking at soil reports and making fertilizer recommendations, which is part of what I do, but it's, that's only one section of what I do here at Seven Springs. I was going to say, are you there three of you? Because that sounds like a full-time job just in itself. We're a small company and we all wear a lot of hats. And as we grow, it's a lot of work sometimes, and, but it's rewarding work. Seven Springs Farm is an actual farm as well as a farm supply. Can you tell us about it? Sure. So the background of Seven Springs is that back in the late 80s, Ron Juftis and Polly Heiser came from Pennsylvania and started Seven Springs Farm. And it was one of the earliest CSAs in the nation, as well as a small nursery and fruit orchard. And over time, that CSA has continued. That CSA is Polly's business, and it still runs to this day. I don't know quite how many members they have, but it's a significant CSA, and it's been continuously serving our local community for decades now. Out of that, Ron grew Seven Springs Farm Supply, which is the business we're, that I work for. And how that started was Ron would be driving around and collecting fertilizers from different places. He knew where to find things. And he started attracting the interest of other local farmers, other local growers and gardeners. And they asked him if he could bring some back. So he said, sure, I can bring some back. He started publishing a pamphlet and it slowly grew into a catalog, which slowly grew into a website, which slowly grew into the business that it is today. Nice. And you used a term that all of our listeners may not be familiar with called CSA. Just give me a little bit about what that is. A CSA is a community supported agriculture. And there are many different CSA models out there. But in, in the basis of a CSA is that you 
subscribe to a vegetable share. What you're doing is ahead of the season, you're committing to buy a certain amount of produce from the farm, or you may work trade for a certain amount of produce from the farm. That gives the farmer an idea of how much to plant and it helps them set the budget for the year so that they get that operating capital, or at least they know how much operating capital to expect. It's a cash flow insurance for the farmer. They're basically pre-selling vegetables as a commitment from the consumers, and then they go out and raise them. That's exactly right. And there are different degrees of flexibility and different models out there, but that is in theory what they all, what all CSAs are. Awesome. Thanks for that. And what has Seven Springs Farm Supply become today? Because you're much bigger than you were in, say, 1990. Sure. In 1990, it was Ron. (laughs) And for a long time, it was Ron and some seasonal help. And about eight or nine years ago, it was Ron and three or four seasonal helpers. And he hired a guy named Eric, who became the operations manager and started hiring more permanent people, year-round people, to the point where now we're at about 12 or 13 year-round full-time employees. And it's the business since I came on in 2018, we have almost tripled in size over the last six years. And that's really not surprising given the way that urban farming and just farming in general is becoming more in trend. That's right. We see whenever food security is on people's minds, which it has been a lot over the last six, seven years, we see a lot of inquiries and a lot of business from that. And there are also a lot of people realizing that they can make a living as a small market farmer if they're in or near urban areas. And so that's mainly who we support. Those are the bulk of the farmers we work with are those market gardeners or small CSA farms like our own, but they're all over. And a lot of them are adjacent to, if not in cities. And how does somebody become a market farmer? The traditional path was apprenticeship. You find an existing small farm and you go and you work a season or two on that farm. You might work another season or two on a different farm, picking up skills and learning how to cultivate, how to grow. And then a lot of people try to save money during that process and look for a piece of land, look for a market, or look for an area where there there isn't already a farm serving that and set up their farm, or maybe it's close to where they grew up, something like that. There are also now more schools and resources to support that. So there are a lot of organizations, biological farming organizations in each state, most states or regions that have apprenticeship programs set up, farm incubators, where people can get their businesses started without maybe owning their land or without a major capital investment. They might be sharing equipment or sharing land. So primarily you support market farmers and larger farmers, and all these supplies work for home gardeners. Absolutely. We are a farm supply company, which we like to say that we're wholesale to the public. Part of our goal in supporting farmers is understanding the need for a lower cost input and just how the cost of inputs affects 
a farm's budget. And so as our primary clientele are farmers, we aim to keep our pricing as low as possible. So that said, we're open to the public. Gardeners can then take advantage of that. if They can utilize the volumes that we supply. And one of the things that I did when I was in college, and I, I went, I'm 62 years old now, and I went back to college when I was 40. And one of the things that I was doing actually back then was farming my front yard. And at that time, my front yard was 80 feet wide and about 40 feet deep. And I was harvesting enough food every week for about six, seven months a year to go to a farmer's market. So it really can be that simple, growing food in your front and backyard, harvesting it and taking it to a farmer's market. Have you seen an uptick in that? Absolutely. We work with a number of small urban farms that work on borrowed or bartered or rented land and then slowly grow into mature businesses. But I can think of several off the top of my head that got started that way or are still working that way in, in small plots in cities. A fellow comes to mind from Roanoke, just down the mountain from us, started that way. I think he had three or four yards or little plots that he began cultivating and he just was able to secure his own land this past spring. There's a farm up in Maryland that we work with who started in a very same manner bartering vegetables that they were growing for access to yards, which they're at about 25 acres now with plans to get to about 75 acres. Wow. So not that everyone needs to go that big, certainly, but they've made a real business out of it. Well, and this is something that people can do in their front and backyards and a borrowed front and backyard. And it's also something that high school student could do, a stay-at-home mom or dad, somebody that's retired. It, this can be a part-time gig for people, can it not? Absolutely. And there's a lot of ways to look at it. If that's the goal, I would recommend people focus on fewer crops. If you're really trying to make a business out of it, start simple, start small. I know many people who have had a melon patch or a corn patch to, to be a bit of a supplementary income. And that way there's the management isn't so intensive. They don't need to be there constantly. You know, I got a request just yesterday in an email from somebody, they're growing sprouts in Phoenix, Arizona. That's where I'm from. So it's not surprising that email came in and they said, do you know anybody that would want to buy them? And I thanked them for reaching out and reminded them what I always tell people is find a market first. Yeah, absolutely. There's a joy in learning how to do something. And we see this a lot too, is a lot of enthusiasm for learning how to grow, learning how to make something, whatever it might be. And people often transition into the business side without a plan for how to actually sell what they're producing. And that's, there's some value in that. One of the things that I used to love to do is I had specific restaurants in Phoenix that I used to frequent. And I just made friends with the chef and offhandedly, I'd have a conversation with them. What are you looking for? What do you need? And then I, that's how I actually started. I started by growing for two or three chefs in Phoenix, Arizona, and it grew it from there. And it was a small business and I ran it for three or four years and it worked. Sure. Yeah. I used to forage mushrooms in the forest in Oregon and bring them to chefs in a very similar way. And I would text them on my way up the mountain and say, okay, how much are you looking for? What are you looking for? And then I'd go pick them and come back down. And by the time you were at the end of your route, you had picked and delivered all and yet it had a fistful of money. 
I often traded for meals, but yes, in theory, it was money. <laughs> I always traded for meals. Yeah. Yeah. I, there were three restaurants in Phoenix that I, for several years, just, you know, when I arrived, they treated me like royalty and I left a tip and that was about it. It's a great point, Greg, is if you want to get into market gardening or if you want to start a small business and commercialize, knock on a kitchen door, show them something, give them something and ask them what they're looking for. I have a very good friend who supplied sweet corn to a lot of restaurants in San Francisco just by starting in exactly that way of knocking on doors and saying, hey, would you like some sweet corn? People try it and they're like, okay, how much can I buy? And this is a really important way to get plugged into the local food system as well. Make friends and grow for them. Certainly. Yeah. Yeah. Without a doubt. And you mentioned earlier that our business, we educate your business. You have farm supplies for people. It kind of ebbs and flows. And 2020 was an epic year for us. We are, listenership exploded in 2020. What happened for you in 2020? It was certainly at the time the busiest year we'd ever had. We didn't really miss a beat. Business exploded overnight. One of the things we offer is a sanitizer, a peroxide and acetic acid based sanitizer. We couldn't keep it in stock because it was being used to sanitize hospitals and all over the place. So that was crazy. We were forced to isolate our staff and try to work independently and run in shifts, but we managed to keep up. But it was a very busy and fairly stressful year. There was so much uncertainty early in 2020. But looking back, we've grown and our staff can now accommodate those kind of volumes pretty handily. You've got to love that. Yeah. And so let's talk about your products and the variety of products that you have. How do you determine what to include in your catalog? Sure. The nice thing about being an independent supply house is that we're not beholden to any kind of contracts um, or limitations. If a manufacturer is willing to work with us, we have the freedom to pursue that. So a lot of times the client will grow our catalog for us. We get inquiries. Hey, have you heard of this? Have you seen this? Sometimes we have something already that's a comparable and sometimes we don't, and we'll go find it, if, and we'll review it and take a look at it and say, okay, we don't have a set criteria other than we focus on organics. We focus on things approved for organic farming, and we like to keep things domestic. So unless there's no alternative, we try to find a domestic source. We like to work directly with manufacturers. So if there are multiple layers of the supply chain, that can tend to drive the price up and we like to offer low cost. We work directly with manufacturers where possible. And we do consider alternatives to try and come up with the best cost we can for a given class of product. We do take some environmental stances if we feel like material is in some way irresponsible or endangering the environment. We, Despite its organic status, we may not carry it. Can you tell us about the products that you carry and the categories that you carry so we have a better understanding of that? Sure. So the biggest thing we work with are fertilizers. And within fertilizer, there are really two classes of fertilizers. You have individual nutrients, nitrogen, 
phosphorus, potash, micronutrients, or you have mixed analysis fertilizers that may have some two, three, four different nutrients in different concentrations. And most of what we offer is either biologically based or a mined mineral. And those are the two primary sources of organic fertilizers. And then another category would be pest and disease management materials, things that kill insects, things that kill or prevent disease, and things that kill weeds, or things that repel, for example, a deer repellent is, a, is actually a pest control. And those are all derived from a varying number of things. A lot of them more recently are biologically based. They might be plant extracts. They might be living fungi. They might be bacteria and they might be oils and they've been formulated to be applied to growing crops. In, in your fertilizer arena, you mentioned the NPK and then that's the, really the macronutrients and then there's the micronutrients. And it's important to have both of those, is it not? Absolutely. So when we review soil reports, we look for deficits in both macro and micronutrients. And they're all important to good plant function. So the first thing we're looking at is the soil pH in a range that allow for availability of nutrients. So that's where lime and calcium come in. And then we'll look at those macronutrients and what the lab is recommending there. And then we will look at micronutrients. Depending on the lab who's analyzing the soil or the plant tissue, they may be more or less inclined to focus on micronutrients. But it's important to understand that you don't know if you need a given nutrient unless you test for that. And how does one go about doing that? Sure, there are several good ways. Soil test is the foundation of good soil management and crop management. So getting your soil tested, and there are a lot of ways to do that, and there are a lot of good resources online that can show you how to test soil. But most people will have a county ag agent, cooperative extension, who will supply you with soil test box and instructions. And you can, master gardeners also facilitate this. So a lot of times at farmer's markets, you'll see master gardeners with a table and they'll be handing out pamphlets and they'll be handing out soil test boxes. And the main goal is to get a representative sample of your plot's root zone and of where the roots would be. So somewhere in that three to six inch range. And you take a representative sample. So an even amount of soil from several different places within a field, within one soil type, and then make a composite, combine all of them, and then take a smaller subsample and send that off for analysis. If you return that to the master gardeners or you return that to your county ag agent, or if you're sending it to a commercial lab, they will process that. And there are several different types of soil analysis. Often those vary by region because of the predominant soil types in a given region. And then the university or the lab will send you back a report with numbers and a set of recommendations to detail if something is excessive, if something is deficient, or if something doesn't need amending at all. And that's who I communicated with was my county extension agent. And they did it and it was there was no charge for it. 
That's right. In Virginia, I think it's $4 unless you're a commercial farm and then it's free. Got it. Wow. Perfect. And how does one go about working with Seven Springs? Sure. If we're talking about soil reports, we accept those and we can review them. We do ask that you have a set of recommendations from the lab and then we can help you. One of the things with those soil reports, Greg, is that they often give either raw numbers or they give recommendations for conventional fertilizers. Most labs don't recommend organic fertilizers. And so one of the things we specialize in is translating those conventional numbers into the organic amendments that we offer. That's a free service that we offer our clients and there's no charge for that. And it's really just, a, uh, it's really just taking our experience and understanding of the materials we offer and translating it over into a, a fertility plan for a grower. So people can call us, people can email us. We're very accessible. We do p- pick up the phone when people call. So that's feedback we get often is, oh my goodness, someone actually picked up the phone. Yeah, I noticed that. And this is probably one of the things that sets Seven Springs apart. That's right. We want to work with everyone and we're happy. We're open to the public. We're happy to work with anyone who's interested in dealing with us. And we're happy to help guide them to solution that they're looking for. Cool. And what is Seven Springs biggest why? Why are you guys doing this? Our biggest why is really two things. It's food production and it's people and relationships. We are a food first company. There's a lot of kinds of farming out there, but we really do aim to support those growers and work directly with those growers who are contributing to our food supply. And the second part of that is those relationships with those growers. There are many people who I've talked to every season, two, three, four, five, six times a season, who we've been talking every year for the last five or six years. And those relationships only get stronger with time. And the success of the farmer is really where we find our success. If we can help guide someone to a solution, help them better understand something or better control something, figure something out or improve an efficiency, that's what we're in it for is to help the success of the small farm. Nice. And you have something that's really curious that I'm fascinated by. It's called a cooperative purchasing opportunity. Tell us about that. That's right. So the cooperative purchasing, those were started many years ago. They've been an ongoing program since I came on and much, much older than that. I believe Ron started those just in the same way that Seven Springs started with Ron going and bringing back fertilizers and other things he found that there was a need, that these things weren't available widely, and, but there was a need and a demand for them. And so he found localities where people weren't being served. And much like you do with your fruit trees and have a short kind of two-week Christmas tree type pop-up, we do something very similar. It's a shorter event. It's one or two days. But the way it works is we have twice a year, people call and place orders before a given deadline. And the goal is to make it an affordable and consolidated order. It's really just 20, 30, 40 gardeners and farmers putting their orders together on one truck to be delivered together. 
and picked up in a given location, whether they can't get those things there or whether this is the most economical solution for them. So at present, we have three well-established cooperative purchase sites, one in Western North Carolina, near you in Marshall at the I'm Madison Ag Center. Very excited to participate this year. Yeah, we're hoping to make a bit of an event this year at Marshall. And I've been going to that, I think, four years running now, twice a year. And so, again, we talk about building those relationships. I see the same growers. I see new growers and the same host site. So the woman who runs the extension center there, Elizabeth, we talk about our kids. Our kids are around the same ages. And it's really that more of that human connection. Right. So the way it works is we send a full truck to that site, unload it. I'm the one unloading the truck. And then growers come through the course of the day or two days, and I help load things back onto their truck. So very simple in principle, but the response has been phenomenal. People seem to really like it. And these conversations always come up where they use this as an excuse to go. So for example, in Athens, Georgia, where we have another, it's an excuse to go see a farm. So the one in Athens is on a farm called Woodland Gardens. It's a very well-established organic farm. Celia Bars is the grower there and she's the farmer. And she's a shining example to a lot of these younger up and coming market gardeners. So remember earlier when we talked about how does one become a market farmer, the other market farmers will come and they will talk shop and discuss different techniques, discuss different challenges that they've seen through the course of the season with Celia and with me while we're all there together. And we can look at examples right there in the field. Celia's got this beautiful greenhouse full of tomatoes or this flower field. And it's idea exchange as well. And I'll say the third well-established one is more newly established and that's in Woodsboro, Maryland. And so the way they work is there's a deadline, people place orders over a period of time, and then we make a bulk delivery we show up and we help growers load up and answer any questions they might have and just get to know them a little bit. Awesome. Well, I'm very much looking forward to this event this year and I'll come and play. I'll help. Unload Sounds the good. Yeah. yeah. We're hoping to have fun at Marshall this year. So we'll hope to see you there. Excellent. Hi, my name is Tim. I go by TCP. My favorite product here at seven Springs is harmony five, four, three because both farmers and gardeners can use it on just about everything. My name's Elena, call sign Nanko, and my favorite Seven Springs product is Solubor, because it's got an awesome name for fluid fertilizers and nutrient sprays. My name is Matt, call sign Mark. My favorite Seven Springs product is Redmond 10 Fine Mineral Salt with Organic Garlic, because it's the salt of choice for discerning cows and cowboys alike. Hi, my name is Scott Pierce. My favorite product is Vermont compost because it's mud season in a bag. So I'm gonna shift on you and I'd like for you to talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that failure and what you might've learned from it. Sure, in the sense of growing, the biggest failure I can remember that I was responsible for, and there have been many, <laughs> well, <of laughs> there have been many over the things. years and I tell part people, of farming. I tell people all the time, I promise you I've killed more fruit trees than you have. That's Not right. on purpose, but it's part of the process. <laughs> That's right. Uh, it's a constant, a constant state of learning and evolution there. But one of the biggest that comes to mind is a time when I was managing a vineyard and 
I was given the advice that I, I needed to apply some boron and the agronomist told me how much to put out and I didn't really double check the math and I applied, I think it was about four pounds per acre of actual boron as a foliar, which is much too much to apply to a growing crop, to most growing crops. And I nearly wiped out the canopy. So for the next two weeks, I had some pretty gnarly looking leaves coming out and it actually took me a while to figure out what had happened. Yeah. And fortunately the plants outgrew it, but they did set me back that season. So our ripening happened later, but that's that the lesson there and how to get better is to always double check your math, have someone else set eyes on your math and really make sure that you're putting the right amount of something out because it's a fine line, especially with something like micronutrients. It's a fine line between the right amount and much too much. That is for sure. And what do you consider your biggest success? The biggest success I can say from a business perspective at Seven Springs has been our investment in people. We're not a big corporation. We're not a really corporate entity. We've made a lot of key investment in personnel and trying to hire and retain smart people who can do lots of different things and contribute. And so when I think of the successes, and I really have to give Eric credit for that because that's been his, his primary goal, but that's as a business, that's been our number one success is hiring good people and letting them grow within the company and help move the business forward and evolve that way. Yeah, I found the same thing in my small business, especially the fruit tree program in Phoenix. I still run the fruit tree program from afar and I have a crew on the ground that's incredible. Yeah. So I completely get that. What drives you? What drives me, Greg, is really the ability to help contribute to moving the needle in agriculture toward a more mindful approach. In, in what we're doing as we cultivate and steward land. And being able to contribute to that in some small way by talking to growers and they have questions and I can answer in a way that helps them maybe more deeply understand what they're dealing with and having a more rounded mindset rather than, for example, in pest and disease management, there's an idea of, okay, I have this insect, let's kill it versus, <laughs> Do you need to kill it? Is there a way that you can set your crop up for success the next time before you find yourself in that situation? I can't tell you how many times a month I get emails and phone calls from people that says, oh my gosh, there's this bug on my plant. How do I kill it? First place that we go in our culture is how do I kill it? When it's been my experience, like 95% of the stuff out there is beneficial. That's right. Yeah. Just because you have an insect. So yeah, certainly doesn't mean that, it, that you need to kill it. And even if it's eating your plants, every year I get calls about Japanese beetles in vineyards and Japanese beetles love grapevines. They also love roses and they love raspberries, lots of other plants. But one of the first things I ask the grower is, is it really threatening the crop? Because they'll eat in the canopy and they'll, but they tend to like those newer leaves, which the grower might be about to hedge off anyways as part of their management. So are the beetles hurting or are they doing you a favor? In that case, it would they'd be doing us a favor. 
That's right. That's right. Yeah. So I really encourage people to think about that question first. Don't go to how do I kill it, but what is it and what might it be bringing me in benefit? Is this a problem? Can I tolerate it? Yeah. I found that the more nutrient dense the plants are, whether we're foliar feeding or drench feeding or granular fertilizing, the healthier the plants are, the less problems we have with bugs. Is that not the case? Certainly healthy plants, and this goes back to that conversation we were having earlier about addressing soil nutrient deficiencies, healthy plants are more resilient. It doesn't mean that insects won't show up. It doesn't mean that disease isn't in the area. It just means that those plants are more resilient and they can withstand the pressure from those pests. They may outgrow it. Yeah. So think first. Yeah, absolutely. Take a look at the whole situation. Yeah. I recently got an email from somebody. They were treating with neem oil and diatomaceous earth for ants. And Uh my first question for them was, what are the ants doing? Yeah, I've had that question many times. I have ants in in the plants. Okay. The ants may be indicating that you have aphids and that might really be what you need to address. But it's rare that ants, I have heard of ants eating certain crops. I was at a flower field day recently. This woman was saying how the ants were attacking a certain species of flower that I wasn't really familiar with. So it's maybe they are, but I know with most vegetable crops in all the guides I've read over the years, I've never seen ants as a key pest. They're likely busy doing something else in there and take them as a sign, as an indication of something, not as something to eradicate. Exactly. And there's some pretty gnarly looking bugs out there that are actually beneficials. Absolutely. Yeah. Assassin bugs are wild looking. Yep. That's exactly the one I was thinking about. Yeah. Yeah. Assassin bugs. Giving a presentation in a couple of weeks on IPM and I have an assassin bug piercing a Colorado potato beetle right at the beginning of that presentation. Yeah. Excellent. And if you could recommend one book for our listeners, what would it be and why? Sure. From a gardening perspective, it's called building soils for better crops. And this is what it looks like. It's a Sayer publication, fourth edition. And anytime we have a new service team member, I try to make sure that they have a copy of this book because it's really the foundation. When we talk about, just like we were just discussing, is building soils for better crops. The whole theory there is if you manage the soil, feed the soil feeds the crop. The soil helps take care of the crop. And this is a wonderful book written by a couple of, I think they're out of Cornell, Fred Magdoff and Harold Von S. are academic researchers and farmers, both out of Cornell. And this is just a a very accessible resource and it's pleasurable to read, even if you're not using it as a reference. So I would recommend that book. What is SARE? Oh, SARE is a Sustainable Agriculture Research and Education. SARE, I think there are four or five regional SARE offices. It's a USDA funded... They do farmer research. So they hand out grants to academics and traditional researchers. They hand out grants to farmers and ranchers and other producers 
to run research projects. So they fund a lot of research projects. They also fund publication of certain things and they have a fantastic library. I'm sure their website is something like SARE.org. Uh, I don't see it here on the book, but yeah, there's a Northeast SARE. So these are regional, regionally appropriate and regionally relevant resources and research that they're producing and funding. So there's Northeast, Southern, North Central and Western SARE. And I've actually been a part of SARE producer grants where I was measuring plant water stress out West as a contributor. And then I've been a part of reviewing grant proposals for SARE. I did three years doing that and my term just ended on their technical committee last year, but they are a, a really valuable. If you're not familiar with SARE, they have a free library online, a number of wonderful publications. Excellent. Excellent. And what was the name of the book again? The name of the book is Building Soils for Better Crops, Sustainable Soil Management. Nice. And what one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners? The advice I would have for your listeners is, it's, there are two pieces, but they go hand in hand, is talk to each other. If someone is doing something that you want to do, talk to them so that you have an idea of what to expect. And really, if you don't have the ability to talk to them, look for people who have long-term experience doing something that you are aiming to do. And because there's a ton of information out there today, and a lot of it's being generated rapidly with not a lot of history behind it or a long track record. It's one of the things I loved about being in the vineyard was vineyards are open. Most vineyard managers, if they meet another one, will say, come check out what I'm doing and just have an open policy so everyone can get better and learn. And it took me a while to realize that not every industry is like that, where everyone's helping. It's the whole rising tide lifts all boats mindset. Yep. And, and that would be my advice. And it's served me so well in my career is anyone who's doing something that, that I'm interested in, reach out to them and really look eight, 10 years down the road at people who are achieving the kind of goals that you have for yourself and model what you're doing. You don't have to copy them so much, but understand how they succeeded over time. Those people who have come before us are really, they're there, they're accessible. I've never had anyone say, no, I don't want to talk to you about how I achieved something that was a passion of mine. People love to talk about and share their passions. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you for that. And thank you for joining us on the show today, Daniel. Absolutely. My pleasure, Greg. And how can our listeners get a hold of you and find out more information? Yeah, they can go to our website, sevenspringsfarmsupply.com, and you can find more contact information there. Awesome. And the times I've called, I've started interacting with your team. Like you said early on, people actually answer the phone. That's right. Yeah, we talk to growers all day long. I'd say we have a website that's full of information, and, but, and we have a catalog that's also got a lot of good information. We put a lot of effort into that catalog and um, they're free. Go on the website, order one, give us a call and ask for one, send us an email and we'll be happy to send you a catalog and we'd be happy to talk to you. And it's a beautiful catalog. Thank you. Yeah, you bet. Also, Urban Farm podcast listeners receive a 7% discount using the discount code URBAN7. You can also find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash seven springs. 
We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams.